Hi, I'm Allison. And I'm Sandhya. And this is The Universal Grain. A podcast where we, two Generation Z Asian American teenagers, strive to share our perspectives by exploring issues that not only affect us, but our audience as well. This week, uh, we decided to talk more about recent COVID-19 surges in various parts of the world and the new Delta variant that is causing most of these surges. So Allison and I, we both live in California, which as of June 15th was reopened. But during this reopening, the Delta variant was increasing in its transmission and was starting to surge and create uh, crises in various parts of the country and various parts of the globe. Because of this and how transmissible it was, the LA County has officially talked about their requiring masks in indoor spaces. And, you know, this really seems like a one step forward and two steps back kind of situation, especially because most of the population in where Allison and I live are vaccinated. But as we will go on later to show, that's not the case for everywhere. Um, And one of these places is Jakarta, which is in Indonesia. And there are also other areas in Indonesia and places like Malaysia and other parts of the globe that are now suffering an impossible surge in cases because of the Delta variant and because of how vulnerable their population is with these extremely low vaccination rates. So more about the Delta variant. Um, It started in December of 2020 and rapidly spread throughout um, its country of origin then to the places it currently is now. It then spread to Great Britain, which led to a rising number of infections and deaths, and then to the United States, where the first case was identified in March and is rapidly multiplying across the country. And so it's about 60% more transmissible than what they would call the B117 or the UK variant, now newly named the Alpha variant. Um, And for the Delta variant, it now makes up more than 97% of new COVID-19 cases, according to public health in England. And so they found that uh, in the UK, children and unvaccinated adults uh, under the age of 50 were two and a half times more likely to become infected with Delta, according to a study by Imperial College London. Meaning that although we have vaccines um, for the original strain that uh, we as humans were exposed to was something new like this. There's always an inevitable threat that, uh, you know, even though we are vaccinated and we do have some of the antibodies that can fight against it, and that may make our symptoms less visible or more moderate, uh, we still need to be careful about this because this virus is constantly mutating. And so the Delta virus known as B1672 um, can spread more easily according to the CDC. Uh, So what makes it spread more easily and what makes it actually a a variant um, is because it's a mutation of the original virus. And so the strain has mutations on the spike proteins that make it easier to infect human cells. In our last episode, when we talked about vaccines, we said, oh, the reason the vaccine works is because the body is able to identify these proteins after the vaccine. And, you know, um, once it identifies it, it can release antibodies um, to fight it. 
But with this new Delta variant, it has a different shape or a different form that the body can find it harder to fight back on. And so this means people may be more contagious if they contract the virus and more easily spread it to others. Unfortunately, it is now the new dominant strain in the US and it is present in all 50 states and account for 52% of new infections in the US. And so we can see that although the, the, the three FDA approved vaccines, although they were not for the Delta variant, they are still proven to be very effective and help lessen the spread of them in a sense. And so more specifically, the Delta variant has a mutation called K417N on the spike protein. It's been suggested that this change slightly reduces binding affinity to ACE2. And so currently it's uncertain whether this additional mutation is causing enhanced severity, transmissibility, and immune evasion of the Delta Plus variant, which is another one um, compared to the Delta variant. So in essence, what all the scientific jargon means is that there's a slight change in it as what a mutation would suggest. And so having this change on such a small level, it's often amplified uh, into, the into the virus of itself. And so that's why we see such big changes. And that's why we see um, humans struggling with this because it's not the same. And something as simple as a small nucleotide or amino acid change could definitely uh, affect the way that we face it. And while this is true, while this variant is changing and it's more transmissible and still does pose a risk, even to uh, vaccinated individuals, that is not to say that the vaccine is completely useless because the virus has changed. Um, it's still really important, and I think that all of the health organizations have echoed this sentiment that people still do get vaccinated because you fare a better chance with the vaccination. Um, and so, like Allison said, it's really devastating when countries and areas with low vaccination rates are struggling through another wave of this Delta variant because it's so much worse because of the transmissibility and the increase of that. And one example, again, is Indonesia. So Indonesia actually reported a number of new infections um, Monday, July 19th, and that number was 34,257. And data from Indonesia as a whole has showed that that was actually the lowest daily number since July 6th, which says a lot because that number is incredibly high. And with the fatality rate of COVID-19, they also reported 1,338 new coronavirus deaths on Monday. So we can say that this is taking an immense life toll and arguably this life toll would be a lot less if um, there was a higher vaccination rate in Indonesia. Yes, and with that being said, uh, I think it's also important to open your perspective um, especially as someone living in America, it can be very easy to get caught up in only how America's doing. And although the U.S. is on a path of downward cases and fatalities uh, because of the vaccines and because of resources and whatnot, it's important to show that, uh, you know, we have to be considerate of others. I think the U.S. has been very fortunate with their three FDA-approved vaccines that are very, very efficient, and that can drastically help um, the, sint the symptoms and the transmissibility of the COVID-19 vaccine. But when we see other countries in peril and in struggle, we must remember to have empathy and sympathy for them because we were once there. Yeah, and I think that that concern for other people is not um, entirely being shown because 
uh, I, I just think that this parallel that I'm about to say is like really shocking, at least for me, when I look at um, places like India and Argentina and Indonesia who have all had their separate COVID crisis crises since January and are still struggling through them. Vaccines are widely available and effective against the Delta variant, but Americans are not vaccinating at the rate they should have. Only fewer than half of Americans are fully vaccinated. That's a rough estimate. And about 520,000 shots are being you know, administered each day. But that is actually the same rate of shots being administered that, that it was in early January. And if you remember January, the supply was scarce then. So if Americans are not using the vaccine as well as they should have, and there are other countries who only have one supplier and, you know, don't have necessarily the infrastructure to pay and administer like two other different vaccines, why are we not helping them out? Why are we not giving them some of our supply? I mean, if we have so many obstinate Americans that won't vaccinate themselves, why aren't we giving the vaccines to people who are willing to. Right. And I agree with that statement that we should be very thankful for, uh, you know, what we have and, and the ability to be able to get vaccinated. And if anyone out there is, and I highly recommend it, all, all data essentially shows that although there are mild symptoms and inevitably complications arise, but they are so very far and few between. And if we focus on the media that exacerbates and polarizes these experiences, we can never truly get back to a place of normalcy. Uh, there have been a few experts that have actually talked on this and said, herd immunity is not going to happen with COVID-19. We're, we're going to lose too much of the population before that happens. And that's really something we can't risk at that point. It's an atrocity. More on the Delta variant. And in a, in a study published two days ago from when this is being recorded, July uh, 20th, 2021, uh, they basically talk about how an international team of researchers led by uh, Kunamoto and Tokyo universities in Japan have shown that the L452R mutation of the COVID-19 spike protein, which is common to two mutant strains, the epsilon and the delta virus, which we had previously talked about, is involved in cellular immunity evasion via the human leukocyte antigen. Uh, A24. And so it enhances infectivity. And so basically what we're saying is that um, there's a lot we don't know and there's a lot we still need to find. And if we have studies coming out, you know, every two days about this, we really need to be prepared for ourselves and for others to um, treat the COVID-19 vaccine so the virus doesn't keep mutating, keep exacerbating our resources and human lives. Yeah. I mean, just we're talking a lot about a lot of scientific stuff. So I just want to bring in like one important theme that I think we remember that I, I think there's some sort of idea of American science and American exceptionalism where um, we always tend to think that we have situations under control when necessary, when that's not necessarily true. I mean, COVID-19 proved that to us. And, you know, this could go down a whole different level. I mean, you could argue that because that American exceptionalism failed when we thought when we saw the outcomes of coronavirus, I mean, we struggled just as much as like India and China. And we started to use language like China virus. We started to put the blame on other people. Granted, that that was some people start. I shouldn't use a collective we. I mean, 
Donald Trump put the language to accuse someone else of our problems. Again, I feel like that is to a degree our idea of American exceptionalism. We could not understand that this problem, our failure to act soon, was we we created, you know, it's our demon of our own making that we had to deal with. And so I just would like to point out that like, while these other countries are struggling with low vaccination rates, you know, the US is too. So I'm just gonna give you like two two examples. So they're the highest vaccinated states are Vermont, where the percentage of the population that's fully vaccinated is 67%. And again, these are these numbers are a tad, they're they're changing um, as life goes on. And Massachusetts, where the percentage of the population that's fully vaccinated is 63.21. And then you have the other side of the coin where Mississippi, the percentage of people vaccinated is 33.89 and Alabama is 33.75. So these numbers are not incredibly different from other countries that are struggling with one vaccine. And I think it's really important that we acknowledge that and we start to take a more global perspective on this pandemic and vaccination because we really need to start allocating our resources in an effective manner. And I don't think that we are when we have, you know, just an abundance of vaccine in the US, but we don't have it where people are really struggling and really needed and are asking for it. Along with this America first idea, uh, during the Trump administration, ironically, the government literally had a book for him, how to deal with an outbreak. And in it, there was literally a page about coronavirus, like how to deal it and whatnot. And so it seems funny that the problem has come this far. The U.S. has dealt and the CDC has dealt with so many outbreaks in the past. We've, you know, in a lot of ways, the U.S. has been um, a very big leader in that sense, you know, with its medicine and its improvements and with everyone trying to um, advance further. And so when we look at actually, there's a Vox article from 2018, a whole year before the coronavirus starts, and they talk about how America first doesn't work. And so how during the Trump administration, when he started um, slashing funding for um, state departments and for global health, it's really concerning that there was little care for this. And so even Bill Gates wrote in his uh, 2018 annual letter that doing this, uh, well, cutting funding in that sense, Americans become more secure by making poor countries more stable and stopping disease outbreaks because before they become pandemics. And so in a sense, when we act as a global community and as Bill Gates kind of shows, if we help others, we're also essentially helping ourselves. And I think in a lot of ways, we've failed to do that. And only now are we reeling from the effects of this and we're attempting to sweep up a problem that's become a huge mess. And so with that, as we are trying to clean up this mess, we also must face um, the fact that these vaccines took so long to make. And so how are they actually doing against the Delta variant? And so in a preliminary analysis, we have seen that two doses of Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine, which are both FDA approved, appear to be about 88% effective against the disease and 96% effective against hospitalization with the Delta variant. And the AstraZeneca vaccine, uh, which has not been authorized for the U.S., but is uh, used globally, was about 60% effective against the disease and 93% 
effective against hospitalization. One, the last FDA-approved one that is available in America is the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, and it has also reported efficacy from its one-shot vaccine. Yeah, and so, I mean, we talked a lot about science, we talked a lot about um, all these different themes, but I just want to bring it back to, I think, one thing that at least I kind of have learned from my very limited knowledge as a um, young teenager. One thing that's been apparent to me is that I don't, in like such a globalized world, word, world I think that word gets um, thrown out a lot about ways to describe like our, our world. It's very uh, interconnected with technology, with, you know, the free market and like how we trade globally and um you know there are coalitions with like that that foster uh global collaboration and all of this stuff but i think one thing that so far i haven't really seen is like a significant effort to stop global inequity especially when it comes to public health i think that public health uh in a sense needs to be more globalized and there needs to be connection between first world countries and third world countries. And there needs to be a more altruistic approach to like helping others and, you know, like maybe giving more vaccines or like creating some sort of pathway to fund like a vaccine rollout or, you know, in the future, if there is another health crisis, there needs to be more funding. So every country is prepared to deal with it because humans are humans, you know, like they all, they're all, their lives all matter. Like we, we need to vaccinate everyone that we possibly can, regardless of their nationality. And I think that we also can look at this from a reparation standpoint. Some of these countries are considered third world countries because they were economically ruined by the imperialism of, you know, it, it wasn't even too long ago that uh, some of these countries were decolonized. So we, as you know, first world nations who are also colonizers, owe it to them to start funding like structural rehabilitation for them as our way of assuring that their autonomy will never be infringed on again and that uh, community satisfaction is there. That's like part of reparations. You, you need to do that for people. And so I think like what, what we can see is that some of these global inequities are um, hampering the efficacy of vaccine rollouts in other countries because there are programs like structural adjustment programs or um, there's like funding that's funneled into countries like Haiti uh, where it was just money that it, it wasn't really like funded with a purpose there weren't uh, rebuilding of infrastructure so Haiti is still struggling being autonomous and being their own country and having public infrastructure and uh, public proper government proceedings for their citizens. But I definitely do think that our blinders need to be taken off. We can't just keep going with this. We need to worry about our country because we owe it to other countries to help them, especially even operating under the idea of American exceptionalism. We are supposed to be a beacon of light, a beacon of prosperity, a beacon of freedom. So if we're not extending that prosperity when we have it, to others, what's the point? And, you know, I do consider myself American, but I also consider myself a global citizen, a citizen of the world. And I think everyone does. 
so as citizens of the world, we need to be holding our governments accountable for this kind of stuff. We need to be realizing the effects of what happened. We need to be realizing how, you know, the vestiges of colonialism are still harming countries today and how um, their infrastructure is still, and their economies are still heavily affected by European influence and Western influence. So yeah, I think that's one thing that I've definitely taken away from this pandemic and from seeing the market differences in not only how countries have dealt with the pandemic, but how they are recovering from it too. And so that leads us to our rest of the episode. Uh, this episode, we decided to do rice paper. Um, and so rice paper is uh, traditionally from China, Japan, Korea, and Vietnam. And it's used for, it's been used for a lot of different things uh, throughout history. Most notably, we know it for the spring rolls that uh, Vietnamese culture has, um, but it's also been used for writing artwork and architecture for uh, many years throughout history. And so when we look at uh, rice paper, it often comes in either circular or square dry sheets and you lightly coat them with water um, and they become more flexible and you can wrap things inside. And so as I was talking about Vietnamese culture, oftentimes they put um, tofu, shrimp, other kinds of proteins, and then there may be um, cilantro, lettuce, carrots, um, cucumbers and a bunch of different toppings and in a more recent iteration people have been making them um, sweet by adding fruits inside and there has been a TikTok trend of people actually frying them and then putting uh, raw fish on top to uh, just make it a fun snack and so uh, rice paper is essentially how we should look at public health in the modern day. And so <laughs> when we say citizens, they're like rice paper and they're painted with their own rich culture and customs, but at their core, they're simply human beings deserving of proper care and the right to, and the human right to health. Uh, just like how rice paper is rice paper, no matter how you cook it or how you fry it. And with that, we want to thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed it and learned something. And we can't wait to hear from you next episode.